You know, last week we talked about 2020 hindsight, and uh, like I shared first hour, I rarely get um, criticisms on my sermons, but once in a while I do. And last week, Jonathan Bundy said, listen, he's an optometrist, and he said, it's not 2020 hindsight, it's 2015 hindsight. It's actually better. And so this week, it's 2024 sight, but due to Jonathan's incredible encouragement, it's going to be called 2016 foresight, okay? So that's even better than 2020 foresight, okay? I don't know how many of you are nearsighted, um, but this morning, I want you to be foresighted, okay? Um, I, one of the questions that, that often comes up around this time of year is your New Year's resolutions, right? And, and what I want to share with you this morning, I want to go big or go home when it comes to this. I want you to think about a vision for your life. What is a vision? Let me give you a simple definition. It's, there's probably tons of them out there, but this is what I'm going to use this morning. Vision is creating a picture of something exciting to be accomplished in the future. Now, most people agree that a vision needs to be, number one, realistic, it's got to be realistic. We, we need to know that it's something that we can actually accomplish. Secondly, it needs to be creditable. It's got to be believable. There's got to be buy-in if people are going to get behind that vision. Thirdly, it needs to be attractive. It's got to inspire. It's got to encourage people to get on board and be excited about it. It needs to be inspirational. It's got to be compelling. And finally, it needs to be something in the future because it has to be a source of motivation, something that we're striving for, as Paul talked about last week when he said, I forget the things that are behind, but I'm striving towards the goal of the price of the high calling of Christ. So my question is, do you have a vision for 2016 for yourself? You know, this is a time of year where most pastors, I, I know when I was pastoring, we, we would always share the vision for the church. And this morning, I'm going to share what I'm going to challenge you to have a vision for yourself because you are the church. And if you don't have a vision of your, for yourself, then you don't have something compelling that's motivating you from day to day. So let's talk about that a little more deeply. You know, Michelangelo said that the greatest danger for most of us is not that your aim is too high and we miss it, but it's too low and we reach it. You know, Thomas Edison also said, vision without action is hallucination. Japanese proverb says, vision without action is a daydream, and action without vision is a nightmare. And finally, Proverbs 29.18 says, without vision, people perish. So vision is a critical component to our lives. And I've discovered that most Christians seem to not really have vision for themselves. They're busy being distracted and, 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 and busy and, and not being focused in terms of their life journey. And this morning, I want to hopefully clarify that for you to give you a challenge to get a vision of your own. Now, Paul had a pretty clear vision in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. In verse 22, he makes this statement. He says, uh, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I mean, the compelling vision for Paul was is to somehow lead Gentiles and Jews to the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his vision. That's what he saw. That's what motivated him. That's what compelled him. That's what excited him. That was Paul's vision pretty much in a nutshell. 
So let's look at this a little bit more deeply and come up with a vision of our own this morning that might be compelling for you in your lives. So let's look at chapter 9 and look at verse 24 because Paul writes about this whole idea of the journey of the Christian life and how important it is to have a vision. Here's verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So let's look at this for a minute and look at our journey as a believer. First of all, Paul is basically telling us that we're all in a race. Did you realize when you became a Christian, you entered a race? And it's a running race. It's a race that we're all supposed to be running. My, my discovery is, is that there are a lot of believers who are out there who are walking the race or who are spectators in the race or maybe even on the sidelines cheering all those who are in the race, but they're not running. And this says all are running in this race. Secondly, this race is a marathon, not a sprint. Paul is referring to probably the Isthmian Games, which was secondary to the Olympics, but the most running then was done in a marathon. It was a long-distance race. I see a lot of believers out there who run sprints. They'll run a sprint. They'll maybe go for a period of time, and then they kind of drop off and lose their energy and they, they kind of catch their breath and, and, and unfortunately during that period of time they start to slip back and they get out of shape and then somebody inspires them and they start running as fast as they can run again but then lo and behold again they slip back and they fall back into, into place again and what he's saying here though this is a run uh, that we need to finish and we need to stay in there and hang in there for the long term. It's, it's, it's something that, that we need to learn how to go the distance so that we can say with Paul, I fought a good fight, I finished the course, and I kept the faith. Can we say that this morning? Well, thirdly, what Paul's challenging us to do is that we need to run to win. He said, if you're going to be in the game, you might as well try to win. I'll never forget a, a coach that I had in college, basketball, and we were getting ready to go out on the basketball court, and he was giving the pep talk in the locker room before we went out to play. And I'll never forget this little pep talk. Coach said to us, he said in the locker room, now listen guys, we're playing a junior college team and we were a JV team at that time. And so he said, we're going to play a junior college team and these are all black athletes and these guys can jump. Okay. You guys can't jump. And, uh, and then he went on to say, he said, now you're going to probably lose. And so go out there and give it your best. Boy, was that inspiring. You know, I mean, if we're going to go into this race thinking we're going to lose or we're not going to be competitive, then why bother? So he's saying, listen, if you're going to run, then run like you're going to win. Be competitive. Make an effort. And then fourth, he says, listen, if you're going to win, you need to really go into strict training. And, and because the reason why we need to go into strict training, the reason why we have to take this race so seriously is because we're running for a crown that's eternal. Everybody else, like Olympic runners, they're running for a silly gold medal, which is really nice, but it's all going to burn, right? 
He's, Paul writes about it in Timothy where he says, you know, I fought the good fight and henceforth there's a what? Crown of righteousness waiting for me. I don't know about you, but I, have you got any trophies on your shelf? Um, back in my old church, we had a really good softball team and we won the softball tournaments numerous times. And so there's all these trophies on a wall in the stairwell in one of our community center, in our community center. And I look at it and I think, you know, that was nice. But all they are is collecting dust. All they got to do is be cleaned all the time and polished and all that stuff, that ain't going to go with us. He says, look, we have an eternal destiny waiting for us with an opportunity to find those rewards called the crown of righteousness in our lives. Plus we get heaven. He says, we're running a race that has a meaningful prize. But, so therefore we need to go into commit to strict training. And he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And, and I was looking at that and I was wondering how much training does an Olympic athlete actually do? Do you know that the average Olympic athlete does six hours a day? for training. And these guys, a lot of them have jobs. They've got other things going on in their lives, but they commit to six hours a day of training. How committed are you to the strict training or the discipline, the self-discipline of your walk of faith? In other words, are you committed to spiritual growth and development in your life? How committed are you? Are you more than just a person that has knowledge or are you really wanting to be obedient? Are you into the word on your own? Are you a self-feeder? You know, we can come to church Sunday after Sunday and get spoon-fed, and you can go home and try to live on that, but if you don't get into the word yourself, there's not really a lot of strict training or discipline there. I remember my uh, turkey days, so here, where we go, folks. Uh, we used to get our turkeys when they would come as little tiny babies, and they would be in a box that would be two feet by two feet, and there'd be a hundred of them in there. And they're all stacked in a little van. And we would take those babies out and we'd just dump them underneath the brooder stove. And then we had feeders all around, little feed troughs all the way around. And I used to sleep with those turkeys a whole week. That's sleeping with the turkeys, let me tell you. But one of the things we had to do within the first five days, we needed to get those turkeys on a full set of feed because up to five days they could live off the white of their egg and if they, they could absorb that and if they didn't get food at the end of five days, they would starve out. And so we would lose probably 10% of our flock in the first week. If there were 10,000, I would be picking up 1,000 babies that were dead because they didn't get on full feed. You see, there's a real illustration here that if we don't get on full feed, folks, we're going to die too. You can't just live off being spoon-fed from Sunday to Sunday. And that's a part of our strict training. We also need to be committed to fellowship. We talk about small groups here. You've got to get involved in fellowship so that there's accountability in your life. You know, I've heard people say to me along the way, you know, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And I said, no, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. But I heard an interesting quote the other day that somebody said, you know what? Have you ever thought about being married and never going home? And I start to think about that. It doesn't make for a very good marriage relationship, does it? You see, this is your church home. And if you never go home, how do you expect to have a good relationship with Jesus? So going to church, having a prayer life, you know, really walking and talking and somehow finding that self-discipline so that there's strict training. Why? Because we're competing for an eternal prize and we're in this race. So he says, let's run and be committed to strict training. Here's number five. He also says, if we're to compete and finish the course, then we have to have an aim. 
He says, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. There's got to be a compelling target in order for us to really run. One of the things that I had to do as a VIP chaplain for the police department, for the sheriff's department, is I had to qualify on the gun range. And the reason why we had to qualify is because we had a target and we had to be 25 yards to 15, then 7 to the 3 yards. And you have to make sure that 42 out of 50, at least, are in center mass. Well, that's quite motivating. And I, used, I freak out every time I do it. But the point is, if you keep your eye on the target, it's a compelling thing for you to do because then you can actually qualify and carry a weapon when you're out on duty. And it's the same thing here, what I think Paul is saying. He said, listen, if you don't have a target, you're, you're running aimlessly. You, you don't have any bearings. You don't have any, any, any basis or purpose to be driven about in your life. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to qualify, to come up with a target and to aim at it and shoot at it. That's the point. If we're going to compete, then we need to compete with an aim, with a target. Here's the sixth thing. If I don't play by the rules, I'll be disqualified. Paul makes it very clear. He said, I don't want to preach and I myself not be disqualified for the prize. As a pastor to pastors for the past nine years, I've had tragically met many guys, unfortunately, who have had a moral failure or a marriage falling apart or they plagiarized somebody else's sermon and so they're lying on Sunday morning and there's no integrity. These guys have been disqualified from their ministry and we can also disqualify ourselves from having any kind of credibility when there's sin in our lives that has held us captive, that is weighing us down as it talks about the runner in Hebrews where we have these encumbrances in our lives that keep weighing us down and entangle us in worldly stuff and it keeps us from really competing like we need to compete. So we need to be careful that we make sure that in our lives we're consistently doing a gut check, a heart check in our lives so that we're not competing with all these entangled things that perhaps could disqualify us from the race. And Paul says, I don't want to be disqualified. How many of you remember Rosie Ruiz? Yeah, there's a few of you. 1980, Boston Marathon. She came in first place. She topped her previous time in the marathon by over almost 30 minutes. And people were absolutely amazed. And they would interview her and talk to her. And pretty soon they discovered that she cheated. That she took some shortcuts. And so I thought, I wonder if there's a lot of cheaters in marathons. So I did a little research. I found out there were probably well over at least 100 people who have cheated in marathons. Where they'll take shortcuts or they'll check out of the race and exchange their little jersey to another person that looks like them, let them run for a little while, and then they exchange back somehow in the crowd and they keep running, and that's the way they, quote, win their race. You know, how many cheaters are in the Christian race? One of the best ways we disqualify ourselves is to allow our ego to get in the way. And that's why Paul said, look, I have been crucified with Christ. He, when he uses the word I there, he means my ego. I, I've put my ego and I'm going to lay it on the cross. He said, I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul was just saying, look, the best way to disqualify yourself is allow your ego get in the way. To have your pride get in the way. When your pride's running your life you're going to end up finding yourself being disqualified. So what does this all mean for you this morning? 
what does it all mean for me? Well, I want to share with you this morning a, a practical model for you to think about going big or going home, okay? I, what I want you to think about is not about a New Year's resolution, but I want you to think about a vision that God has directed you, a target that God has directed you for your life. So here's where it starts, though. I think it always starts with a mission statement. What I mean by a mission statement, it's, it's sort of that constitution for your life. It's that undergirding basic purpose for your life. We have a constitution for the United States and that constitution has lasted over a couple of hundred years and we always go back to that as sort of that foundation for us to know how we govern this country. Well, years ago, 20, 25 years ago, I went to a leadership course and one of the things that they required us to do, which was really difficult at the time, was to write a mission statement for my life. How many of you have written a mission statement for your life? I mean, when I do premarital counseling with couples, I always ask them to write a mission statement for their marriage. Now, mission statements can be no better than the paper it's written on because if we don't follow through on our mission, we're just what? Hallucinating, according to Thomas Edison. So it's really important that if we look at this. So I'm going to share with you my mission statement to give you a bit of a model this morning, not to put myself on a pedestal in any way, shape, or form, but I just want to share with you a model that you can probably adopt in your life that begins to govern your life. Because without this mission statement, friends, there would be many times in my life where I would get off to the side or, or go, go down a stray path, and I, this mission statement always brings me back to square one. So here it is. You know, my mission statement came out of Romans chapter 15, verses 15 to 18, and you may find a, a life verse that, that really has touched your life that might be a part of your mission statement. And here's what it says. For I am, by God's grace, a special messenger from Christ Jesus to the world. I bring you the good news and offer you up as a fragrant sacrifice to God so that you might be pure and pleasing to him by the Holy Spirit. So it is right for me to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. I dare not boast about anything else. I brought the world to God by my message and by the way I lived before them. That was Paul's message and I identified with that and I said, yeah, I want to be that. That's what I want to be. So here's what I wrote. Therefore, it is my desire to be a special messenger of integrity, authenticity, and love to my family, the church, and the world. I want my life to reproduce itself in the lives of others, creating men and women who will lead the spiritual generations to come. Now, that's a mouthful, but God had spoken to me about that. I prayed about that, and all my life, for the past 25 years, that's been the very basis of the way I try to live my life on my life's journey. That's how I'm trying to run the race. Therefore, there is, out of that came some very important values, very important values. These are things that I really feel strongly about that I want to be a part of my character and my life. And so the first value that I wrote down is I want to be a spiritual multiplier to equip the leaders of the future. That's one of the reasons why God led me to the last nine years to be pouring my life into other pastors. And so I want to be a spiritual multiplier to equip leaders for the future. That's a high value for me, and I will do that until the day I die. Here's the second value that I have. I want to model the Great Commission by intentionally sharing my faith whenever God gives me the opportunity. Now, you, you can go to any church 
And you'll probably look in their constitution and bylaws and you'll find the great commission, go and make disciples, baptizing them, right? I mean, you're going to find that. And it's going to be worded very differently in very different ways. In fact, you look at our four, four corners and you, you see the great commission all wrapped up into that. But how many churches are actually fulfilling the great commission? How, how many churches are really reproducing and seeing lives being transformed? And so for me, I wanted to feel like the Great Commission was a part of my life, and, but I wanted to be intentional about it. I wanted to have that as a high value. And about 15, 16 years ago, one of the things that God convicted me about was that I'm not really being as intentional about leading people to Christ outside of the church. Oh, it's easy to do that in the church to some degree when you have counselees that come in or people that have low-hanging fruit and you kind of catch them on a Sunday morning and you see them come to Jesus. But I wanted to be intentional outside the ivory tower. And so I decided to join the Phoenix Police Department as a chaplain. And over those 14 years, one of my intentional desires was to see some officers come to Christ. And nine police officers came to Christ over that period of time. Because why? Because that was a high value for me and it was something that I had to intentionally do because I didn't feel like I could stand up on Sunday morning and tell the folks in the church, you need to be out sharing your faith and old pastor here who doesn't share his faith. You follow? And so that was a high value for me. Thirdly, I want to be a role model of consistency and godliness for my wife and family. And there have been times, there was actually one time I was in a small group and I actually ask the small group to go home and ask their wife, because there's a bunch of guys, and their kids if I was living out those values. Ooh, that's a scary thought. But it's really important to me that I have a, a consistent lifestyle at home, at church, or out in the street. And that should be a high value for all of us because that's all about integrity. And if you ask either one of my adult kids now, they'll say, Dad, when we were growing up, integrity, 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 you kept stuffing that down our throat. But that's a reality because that's a high value for me. Here's the fourth high value. I want my ministry to be characterized by authenticity, transparency, and relevancy. And hopefully when you see me up here, you, what you see is what you get. And uh, so that's a high value for me. For fifth, I want to always reflect compassion and healing. We named our church back down in Phoenix called Shiloh Community Church because Shiloh means a place of rest, a place of healing. And one of my high values was that we would have compassion for people who are hurting. And so one of our mantras there was is that we want to have trash people come to our church so that they could get recycled. And so that was a part of our, our ministry. And so we had Celebrate Recovery, we had Grief Share, we had all kinds of support groups so that people would really understand that when they come to Shiloh, this is a place where they can be themselves and they can heal because it's not about being a hospital. It's not always about being a hospital and yet that's one of the things that we tried to convey. Here's the sixth thing. I want to consistently monitor my heart so that whatever ministry I engage is done in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you were been around here for several months, you maybe remember a teaching that I did on trains, fills, leaks, and alarms. You all remember that, some of you? And that was really an important thing to me because if we don't keep a fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we start doing life in the flesh. And so one of the, my values is that I always want to monitor my heart to make sure my heart, that I'm not preaching up here from an empty cup, and so that's a high, high value for me. So all those values and that mission statement have been governing my life for the past 25 years. 
And I revisit that frequently. uh, I would recommend that if you do write one, that you would put it in your Bible. And so every time you open up the Bible, it's something that you can go back to and say, this is what's motivating me. This is my purpose. This is what God's called me to do. And so what is my vision for 2016? Well, my vision is to share the gospel with my friends, neighbors, and deputies with hopes that at least one or two are going to receive Christ this year. And so I've got about four or five people that are on my prayer list that I've targeted. And, and I'm going to, with my whole heart, can be intentional about sharing my faith with these four or five people this year. And I'm hoping and praying that God, by his grace, will lead at least one or two of these people to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, if you want a compelling, exciting, motivating vision, I like that one. And maybe, wouldn't it be interesting if every one of you had that as your vision this year? And God really spoke to you about that. And you were really excited about that. And every one of us, at the end of next year, at the end of 2016, could stand up here on the platform and say, hey, this is my adoption. This is this person that I led to Christ this year. And I'm so excited. And watching them grow, and, and it's so exciting to me. You know what we do? We double the size of Quarterstone. But that's not that as important as the fact that we've had people's lives changed. And what's more motivating in life than to see somebody's life change as a result of a testimony of God's faith in your life and his grace? So that's my vision for 2016. And I'm hoping that a year from now I can stand up in front of you and introduce you somebody that came to Jesus because of my testimony this year. Wouldn't it be cool if all of us did? I thought I'd get an amen. Come on. You talk about a compelling vision. So I'm going to close. You know what's coming, right? Questions. Can't stop without asking questions. Here's number one. Have you entered the race yet? Have you gotten into the race yet? Maybe some of you have been spectators. You've been looking at people running. You've seen some inconsistencies in those people. and You're not too sure if you want to identify with those in the race. I I just had a, a hi there card here from somebody that stuck in my, my table here and said, I would like to learn more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. That was last hour. Somebody's thinking about getting in the race. Isn't that cool? Amen? And there might be somebody here that needs to get into the race. Hey, this race is a lot of fun, folks. And we're not competing for just some silly trophy. We're competing for the crown of righteousness. We're competing for something eternal that's going to last forever. Here's second thought. Are you competing or are you just along for the ride? Are you in it to win it? Come on, think about that. Are you in it to win it? We are in a phenomenal race. We've got so much invested by Jesus into our lives. The least we can do is be in it to win it. Amen? Third, Are there some rules that have been broken that need to be fixed? Are there something going on in your life right now that would have a tendency to sort of disqualify you in that race that would just, you know, put you on the sidelines? You know, I was watching that crazy football game last night between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. Two guys, right? Two guys lost that game for their team because of their stupidity because they really disqualified their team from moving on in the playoffs because of their 
foolishness because of their anger out of control. And how many of us have some of those things in our lives that sort of weigh us down, that keep us from really running the race? So are there some things that in your life that have been broken, rules that have been broken? And then four, how's your training going? How's your training? Have you really exercised some self-discipline or or you've been really just erratic? You know, it's so funny because the average person, it seems like, who has a New Year's resolution is always about what? Getting fit, losing weight, right? What about getting fit spiritually? What about, what about putting some time and energy into that? You know what might happen? You put some energy into your spiritual life, you know, you might get physically fit and physically fit as well because that's all a part of the journey, isn't it? And finally, so the last question I have is, what is your mission in life? Now, what is your vision for 2016? What's God spoken to you about that's bigger than just a New Year's resolution, but it's a God-ordained thing that you and he have worked out together saying, Lord, what is it you want from me this year? We talk about a vision for the church. You are the church. And if you don't have a vision, how's the church supposed to have a vision? You know what I mean? It's kind of like you are the church. And if you can find some time in your life here in the next week or two to just sit down with God and say, God, what is it you want me to do? What, what's compelling me? What, God, what's pushing me? What's, what gets me up in the morning? What's relevant? What, what, what are you saying to me? Because I want to run this race and I want to win. I just don't want to compete. So let's pray. Let's think about that. Father, thank you for the model that the Apostle Paul gives us. God, we're all in this race if we know you. But God, a challenge to all of us today is, are we going to run it and go for the prize, go for the win, go for the target, or are we just going to kind of run around with our, like a chicken with our heads cut off? There's so many distractions in our culture and from day to day, God, we get so busy. I pray that somehow in 2016, you would solidify these values and mission in our lives so that when we get off track, we can always go back and say, God, this is what you're compelling me to do. God, I want to stay on target. I want to run. I want to compete. And God, I want to win because I know that prize is waiting for me. That's for all eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.